Welcome to World is Burning, the storytelling podcast for your climate anxiety. I'm Elise. And I'm Olivia. And this week, we're finally talking about the woman that I feel like <laughs> we probably bring up almost every episode, Octavia I talk Butler. about it so much, not only on the podcast, but in my real life, <laughs> that mm-hmm. people will be like, what's that one sci-fi book that you always <laughs> talk about? And I'm like, Parable of the Sower. <laughs> In that like like, that like obsessive (laughs) voice, like you haven't just been let out of a a room. I'd be like, like, finally, I can say yes. And like people will start reading it, and then like like give me updates and their reactions. So it's it's been a thing. Like I didn't mean to become so obsessed with Octavia E. Butler, but it's happened. I'm here, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm slowly making my way through her entire library of works. Yeah. So. I yeah I'm feel the same way but also I feel like I just sort of have been influenced by the people that have been influenced by Octavia Butler too yeah like you um (laughs) but then also people like Adrienne Marie Brown who um has a podcast which uh both of us I think need to listen to it's called Octavia's Parables where she goes chapter through chapter actually for the original Parable of the Sower they went they started on her birthday which is in June um, they, they did it in June of 2020 and then they did a chapter a week until the election, which I think oh, is kind wow. of iconic Yeah, just to like separate the year in that unusual way. Yeah. And she's also written an anthology, like mentions Octavia Butler constantly. I will just admit right now, I have only read Parable of the Sower. I have Parable of the Talents and Parable of the Sower right next to me right now, as yeah. I showed you earlier. And I want to read more of her books, but I just whatever time gets away from me and I also I feel like her influence is so present in my life that I'm like do I have to read her actual books yes 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 (laughs) yes oh yes I do um but not right now like before we record this episode yes no 100% and I feel like once like if you have read Parable of the Sour like you understand her writing style you get where she's coming from so you you get it and you yeah. know more about her life at this point than I do because I'm do. just here to talk about the book I have I'm these here cards to... I'm holding against yes you. <laughs> I'm uh, yeah full disclosure I'm moving this week so my life is a mess but I mm-hmm. have read four Octavia E. Butler books her f- first book her last book and her maybe most well-known series Parable of the Sour and Parable of the Towns or the Earthseed mm-hmm. Starseed Earthseed Earthseed yes is Starseed in a different book? I think Stars is Starseed. I always get confused with um there's Earthseed and then is Star I, I get confused with uh what's it or her middle called? name is Estelle. I, I think I get confused with the cult with the <laughs> not the, the same. one a different, different vibe, totally different vibe. <laughs> I honestly don't know if she was inspired by it, but the what what are they called? The one that wore the Nike sneakers and went up all Jonestown no not Jonestown it was Heaven's Gate Heaven's Gate I didn't know and I don't know star yeah they all wore um black and white Nike uh the Nike decade is Hmm. so and they they um discontinued them but they all famously wore these Nike did they discontinue them because they became I think so yeah. That's so interesting. And I think I think the only reason they got them was because they were on sale. <laughs> and they like are all wearing the same outfit. But I get confused. Like Heaven's Gate, 
Earthseed. Stop. I don't know. I just get all the words. Well, I could have saved you so well. Yeah, because her <laughs> middle name is Estelle. And Estelle. Yes. one of the great biographies that I read for, well, sorry, I only read one biography, but for this episode is called Star Child um, okay. by E.B. Zaboy. Um, so should I just dive into this? Let's, let's feels get like in that's there. Happening. Let's do okay. it. Yes. Um, <laughs> We're in it. Yeah, I'm in it. And it's so interesting to hear more about like a proper biography of Octavia Butler's life because it informs her work in so many interesting ways. Like even mm-hmm. me just having read Parable of the Sower and a couple of her essays, I was like, yeah. oh, wow, I see like some really stark connections that are super interesting. So, yeah, yes. like I said, um, Star Child by Evie Zaboy, which is like a, a poetic biography. There's like a lot of cool things. There's actually a poem in the book that's in the shape of a star. It has mm. like pictures of her as a young child, um, pictures of her notes all these like, really interesting different things. So it's also a quick read, um, mm-hmm. but very informative. There's also the essay Positive Obsession by Octavia Butler, which I read. A couple of Democracy Now! interviews, one with Octavia Butler right before she passed away, and then a interview in 2021 with Adrienne Marie Brown. Um, mm-hmm. The Paris Review, New York Times. And yeah, just another shout out to Adrienne Marie Brown. Octavia's Parables and Octavia's Brood are like, very interesting reads, listens, whatever. Mm-hmm. So Estelle Octavia Butler was born in June 1947 in Pasadena, California, to her father, Larice Butler, who was a shoe shiner, and Octavia Margaret Butler, um, who was an, a live-in domestic servant. It sounded like her mom mm. um, like took care of children, also like was a maid and stuff like that, but would often mm-hmm. live with the people that she worked for. Um, they had gotten married in 1931. And Octavia was their first and only child born in 1947. In the years between their wedding and Octavia's birth, the world changed very dramatically. You know, the Mm. Great Depression moved into World War II. Desegregation was gaining popularity, but still was obviously receiving harsh pushback from white people. Mm -hmm. Quite a euphemism there. And they had also unfortunately suffered four miscarriages prior to Octavia's birth. Wow. Um, So when she was born, Uh, understandably, her mother was very protective of her and held Mm -hmm. her very close. When Octavia was four, her father died. Um, So she grew up mostly with her mother and her grandmother and occasionally Mm. with like two of her uncles who kind of became father figures for her, but like a very Mm -hmm. matriarchal family. Hmm. Around the same time, so when she was only around four, her grandmother's chicken ranch, which her grandmother had purchased and Octavia's uncles had built, burned to the ground, uh, many of their family treasures burning with it. This tragedy you might recognize later made its way into her work, notably in the parable mm. books. Um, like which Sorry, you said it was burnt down? Burnt down, yeah. Okay, yeah. Did I miss say that? No, no. Oh. I I just wanted to make sure you said it was burnt down because it it also like, that is definitely a theme. Yeah. Like, like burnt down to the ground. Like a community, a home burnt burnt mm-hmm. down ruined destroyed yeah and like yeah i know in parable of the sower like that comes up a lot just like this idea that you could lose your possessions at any moment and then also in that book there are people that are like or there's a growing popularity of a drug that induces pyromania and people are like setting fires in the streets and setting Mm -hmm. fires to expensive things and expensive things doesn't really matter but like people are constantly losing things due to fire so i thought that was interesting that that came from such like a formative place in her life Mm -hmm. And obviously incredibly tragic. 
So she grew up in Pasadena where the Jim Crow and segregation laws of the South weren't as present. Um, she didn't go to a segregated school. Um, and Pasadena was like a minority black, but like a large minority. If, if there were maybe 7,000 people who identified as black in a 100,000 mm-hmm. population, that was about what it was. Um, Mm -hmm. So her family had moved to California from Louisiana as part of the Great Migration. Mm -hmm. Lots of black families moving north and then moving west as well. At school, she was somewhat of an outsider and a daydreamer. Like her mother before her, Octavia was tall from a young age and was often made fun of for her height. Um, She was often assumed to be slow because her young mind didn't necessarily match her body size. Um, Mm -hmm. That was also like a specifically an issue for her mother who ultimately dropped out of school after like Hmm. three years when she was really young um, and ended up taking care of her sisters and then later going into these caretaking roles as an adult Mm -hmm. um, which were jobs that kind of embarrassed Octavia you know the daughter Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to have her her mom doing these sort of unglamorous jobs even though it was through those jobs that you know not only was she able to eat and survive but also mm-hmm. she got a lot of books through them and, you know, would her mom would collect things for her um, that would come from these these less glamorous jobs. On a report card that Octavia received, it said, I guess she went by Estella sometimes, mm-hmm. which is sort of a variation of her middle name. Her mom also called her Junie, which I think is cute because it's like that is cute. a combination of June, which is the month she was born in, and Junior because she's Octavia oh, Butler cute. Junior. Yeah. So I thought that was cute. Also, I love how your cat is truly like <laughs> a scarf for I, you right now. My cat, Shelly, likes to climb up on my left shoulder. And so my eternal struggle is keeping cat butthole off the camera and yeah. zooms. Yeah. It's just like, I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I'm like, my cat's butt is just it is so straight, present. Uh, straight in the camera. So I'm always like tucking her tail down. Yeah. Ah. Uh, anyway. Sorry, continue. So funny. I hope that they can hear like just the little ruffles in your your mic. I mean, you'll probably take it out, but my, I'm afraid my cats are going to cry if I close the door. So they're yeah. no, they're very welcome. They're so welcome here. <laughs> um, OK, so this is a report card that Octavia received. It said Estella's most grievous fault is her slowness. She does not complete mm. assignments. She dreams a lot and has poor concentration. Um, so understandably, as a result of getting this kind of feedback from your teachers, your peers, she was shy and had low self-esteem, really diving into stories for comfort and for solitude. Mm-hmm. She says in retrospect, I made my own society in the books and in the stories that I told myself. So Octavia was raised born again Baptist. Um, mm. Also super interesting to me, um, like mm-hmm. a fundamentalist church where things like dancing and going to the movies were considered sins. In a Democracy Now! interview, she said she was grateful for that monster of a conscience that she developed early because Mm. like, you know, she's like, I would already guilt myself for things. I wasn't worried about what other people would think, which I thought was an interesting twist on the like religious guilt that you hear about (laughs) a lot. Yeah. But yeah, nice. Um, And she said when people use religion as a way to get power over other people, that's what scares her. It's not the guilt. Mm. It's this like wielding of power. Um, she said in another interview that's quoted in E.B. Zaboy's book, I wish we were able to depend on ethical systems that did not involve the big policemen in the sky. Big policemen mm-hmm. being capitalized. I think that's yeah. so good. Um, yeah, so, so that's cool. 
despite yeah despite her not super identifying with religion seems like even from an early age she still did go to church and she read Mm -hmm. the bible thoroughly and often as a child sometimes even Mm -hmm. every day despite an early interest in reading she just she struggled with undiagnosed dyslexia and was mm-hmm. never a fast reader. As a result, she loved audiobooks as an adult, which I, considering that she passed away in 2006, I was like, that's even before her time to love audiobooks. She books. probably, like, audio cassettes as from the library. Yeah. I feel like, actually, when I was a kid, um, like, young, uh, my mom would always get them, like, book on tapes, mm-hmm. like, actual, like, tapes in the car and yeah. stuff from the library. So throwback. And now I don't feel as bad for having listened to three of the four audio or books that I've read of. Yeah. No, she was like, I I don't think I wrote it in here, but she's like, that way I get every word because, you know, if she struggles with it, but then it's like, you just listen to it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess I did like, I love listening to audiobooks and stuff in the car, but yeah, I just like with the growth of audiobooks in the last few decades, like digitally, mm-hmm. I was like, that's crazy. You know, I don't know anyone else who was like, I loved audiobooks in 1985. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she still loved to read despite the difficulties. And she became interested in fairy tales, planets, and early doses of science fiction. When mm-hmm. she was around nine or 10 years old, she saw the film Devil Girl from Mars and she thought, this is terrible. I could write something better than that. And so that was what motivated her to start to write. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I want to now I want to watch that. I know. I kind of want to watch it too, even though it's like said it was bad. I did read a description of it. I didn't watch like a trailer or anything, but I think it's I think it's on Mars and there's some sort of gender culture war or something like that, but apparently not super well done. But again, okay. you can see the influence on her work that you'd be like Oh, this could p- have the potential to talk about interesting cultural issues. Yeah. It's just sometimes, not executed well. Sometimes mediocre things are I mean, it could also be really good considering how good of a writer she is. So true. Like sometimes, I don't know, sometimes you see something and you're like, "Oh, I I could see myself making that, doing that. That inspires me to like, oh, yeah. em- embroidery or like, oh, this thing, like, I don't know. I could do better or I could do the same." Or even, yeah, like your sort of lowbrow art interest can be the things that spur more intellectual works or something that's like a little bit deeper, more dense. Not that dense necessarily means better, but um, Mm -hmm. the fact that she was thinking about this at like nine or 10 years old is just like so, so interesting. Yeah. Especially, you know, as someone who was told so often that they were slow or not that intelligent or not that capable Mm -hmm. of things. And then also living in a society that's deeply racist and sexist. Like, yeah, I don't know, for her to even just have those thoughts and listen to them is really powerful. So, yeah, she carried around a pink notebook. Um, I wish they had pictures of this. I don't know if it exists. I am obsessed. Um, in which she wrote her first novel at age 10 um, about a family of magical horses she also had the idea for the Patternist series very young. Okay. She wrote the series backwards in, mm. in the sense that she, like, I don't know if she intended to write it this way, but she wrote the last book first and then kind of kept mm. peeling back the origins of the story. Oh, cool. Did she publish them? No. None of this nope. was published at the time. No. The Patternist <sighs> series d- did come out much later, you know, decades later, yeah. I think. But was it published chronologically? Or, like, mm. not... Like story wise, do you know? I think I think it was published chronologically. 
but like the ideas for the book came from the came back what ended up being the final book. Okay, I don't know. Very, it's hard for cool. me to say when I haven't read the series, but like maybe the concept of it, <laughs> okay. yeah, came from that ending and then sort of worked it back, which also I uh-huh. think is just a smart way to work as a writer because yeah, I I feel like yeah, coming up with the ending is the hardest part, especially if you've built all these threads that you know aren't going to go anywhere. Versus if you know the end, yeah, you can connect it back to that incredible world building yeah. technique as well, which is literally uh, yeah. Sorry to 13. keep interrupting. No, like I feel like her stories feel I don't know why I like feel so emotional about her. Like I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm going to cry during this. But like all of her stories like feel so real Mm -hmm. in a way that like most books don't like there's so many little facts and I'll I'll talk about it later. Yeah, it's just so good. So like if she did that, like it makes sense. Like I wouldn't be surprised if that was like part of her process as well. Like, yeah. oh, plot and then just like more and more back, back, back history. Yeah. And also it makes me think about how like I, I didn't read as we've sort of unintentionally documented mm-hmm. on this podcast. It took me <laughs> like a year to read Parable of the Sower. That was also because of extenuating circumstances in my life and dropping off for a while. Um, yeah. Like I definitely picked up the last half and read it in like a couple of days. But yeah. there's so much to like savor, not in the sense that uh-huh. it's dense or there's like crazy vocabulary or anything like that, that it's like inaccessible. But it's just like, yeah, like you said, so real and so, yeah, deeply built that like you can't you can't just like dive into it. You have to like. Yeah. Like you feel in. like you're living a full life. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, it, in a way that like I feel like a lot of other books are like, here's a cute little story, beginning, middle, end. And it's like, yeah. here's. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. Really cool. But also so much action, you know? Yeah. It's not a yeah. book where nothing happens, which tend to be my favorite books. <laughs> Anyways, so through your life, um, and by the way, interrupt, don't, you're not interrupting. I'm just this is literally your podcast. Girl. I'm just like, well, <laughs> I'm just fangirling so hard. It's fine. Yeah. But it is cool to Go see ahead. like how those things connect. Um, yeah. To her, to her writing. Um, yeah. Even like, yeah, again, like going through things a little bit slower, knowing that she had dyslexia is interesting to me too like that she was someone that really wanted to save her word by word mm-hmm. however strenuous that was mm-hmm. through her life octavia mm-hmm. published 12 novels and a collection of short stories i'm sure she wrote many more um she would often travel to follow her stories so she drove across the country for kindred um and mm. she drove up north from California to Seattle for the Parable series. Mm. You know, it's also interesting to see how that series is like starts in the Los Angeles area in California Mm -hmm. because it was an area that she knew really well. Mm -hmm. She took science fiction as a way to comment on every aspect of society. So it was very rooted in real life, kind of like we were talking Mm -hmm. about. Many of the pulp science fiction magazines that she loved as a teenager included anxieties brought on by the Cold War. Mm -hmm. So fear of communism, a.k.a. the Red Scare, morphed into anxieties about Mars, a.k.a. the Red Planet. Mm -hmm. Star Child, that biography I keep talking about, really ties all of this together in a way that I had not thought about before. Okay, Even like that she was born during the baby boom and then the Cold War was like really happening during her like formative years. Yeah. A lot of those anxieties are like deeply informed in her work as well as racial and sexual liberation and trauma Mm -hmm. and violence that's all happening like in so present in the 60s and 70s especially Mm -hmm. when asked about becoming a science fiction writer despite not seeing any writers like her she said I wanted it and I assumed I could have it 
She began submitting stories for publication and collecting rejection slips, as she put it. All that despite the fact that at the same age, 13, she had never read a printed word that she knew to have been written by a black person. So not even like just in science fiction, which was very much older white men or white men. Um, Even today. Even yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. But then that's truly she's saying any printed word knowingly written by a black person um, that mm-hmm. she had access to, you know, at her local library where she read voraciously. Mm-hmm. Uh, she joked at a conference with another black science fiction writer that they represented two thirds of their niche. Um, <laughs> the third writer being a black Canadian writer who ended up like later giving up writing, I think, without too much success. Wow. After high school, she went to a junior college in California where she was able to get the critiques that she really craved. Um, although not everyone understood her approach, um, she mm-hmm. had an early professor that after she had sent in, you know, submitted a bunch of science fiction-y works mm-hmm. for like a maybe a kind of general creative writing class. Her professor mm-hmm. was like, can you write anything normal? <laughs> and I was just like, wow. <laughs> um, shortly after that, she won the school's anonymous short stories contest. And the $15 prize mm-hmm. was the first time that she'd been paid for her writing. Wow. And I find this so interesting. Like she talks in her essays about, you know, crying to her teachers so that she could get out of presenting her poems or like presenting any anything really in class um, uh-huh. all the way up through her education. And this like paralyzing shyness. She says in that essay, she's like, shyness is shit. And I was <laughs> like, that is just, um, you know, she started doing archery because it wasn't a team sport. Like she very much felt yeah. or she isolated herself from her peers because she really didn't feel understood Mm. by them but then she was Mm -hmm. so ambitious in this way of doing what she loved and you know collecting the rejection slips if that's how it has to be like just doing anything that she can in order to to make this life for herself that she saw Mm -hmm. in terms of her practice as a young adult she would often wake up at 2 or 3 a.m to write she said she had a positive obsession with moving these stories out but this early wake up was also from necessity. After a few hours of early morning writing, she would head to work, often doing factory and warehouse labor where her size was an advantage. She was over six feet tall, I think. Mm. The Paris Review also mentioned jobs like dishwasher and potato chip inspector. That mm-hmm. one is so intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, I saw like telemarketer. I think she had a lot of odd jobs that she would like mm-hmm. often quit or, you know, change around partially to collect like stories of different experiences but also she would pick jobs that felt fairly mindless to her so she could free her mind for writing but despite her clear-headedness the shy child in her was still very much filled with self-doubt um so this idea of positive obsession for her came to mean that Mm -hmm. she wasn't able to stop just because she was afraid and full of doubt she said, positive obsession is dangerous. It's about not being able to stop at all. Mm. That's the title of an essay that she wrote, like kind of tracing her writing life from early childhood to young adulthood. Mm-hmm. At the age of 23, Octavia sold her first two short stories, both to writer editors at the science fiction writers workshop that she was attending at Clarion in Pennsylvania, um, which mm-hmm. she had been encouraged to apply to by like a Cal State or She went to a couple of different like community and state colleges in California, and she had met a writer there who encouraged her to apply for that. Um, She actually, uh, I think it said this in her obituary, that she, since she lived, you know, in the L.A. area, she would go to 
screenwriting workshops. There was like a mm. screenwriting workshop that was meant to bring in like to diversify the screenwriting profession. Um, mm-hmm. And so she would go to those, even though she didn't really have any interest in screenwriting. She just like kind of wanted to be in the room and see what it was like. Um, and mm. she said that like often she was the only black woman in those spaces, even spaces mm-hmm. that were like dedicated to diversifying a very white industry. Um, so yeah, I thought that was, that was interesting and like kind of how she benefited in certain ways from different mentors pointing her in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So she goes to this writer's workshop. She sells her first two short stories to her professors. Only one of them Mm -hmm. is actually published. Um, and then she did not sell another word for five years until she sold her first novel, Pattern Master, which was published in 1976. Mm. In that time and through her life, she would often write manifestations for herself about her future life and her dreams, um, becoming a best-selling author, providing for herself and her mother, providing for young Black people that came after her. Mm-hmm. Um, she often ended them with so be it, see to it. I think I'll, I'll post some of them in either our stories or something on Instagram. Um, and I'll mm-hmm. put them in the blog too, which worldisburning.com, uh, because I love these. I put one of them in my like 2023 20, vision calendar because they're mm-hmm. they're one of those things that I always come back to. Again, before mm-hmm. I had read any of her books, I had like seen these um, notes about like, you know, encouraging herself to be honest and open and creative and like manifesting mm-hmm. this life for herself. And I was inspired by that even before I read anything about her. And so she did live to see a lot of the success. In 1995, she became the first science the first science fiction writer to be awarded a MacArthur Genius Grant. And then according to her obituary, she also received two Hugo Awards from the World Science Fiction Society and two Nebula mm-hmm. Awards from the Science Fiction Writers of America. You know, like it's actually interesting to hear um I think I was reading I guess I didn't put it as a source, but um, E.B. Zaboy, who wrote that biography, um, mm-hmm. talks in like an Oprah Daily article. I'll put it on a website mm-hmm. about meeting Octavia Butler and sort of like the ways that she first was just like a, another young black female writer who was inspired by Octavia. Mm-hmm. And then the small ways that they got to she, that they interacted with each other through their lives. They actually mm-hmm. had the same birthday, June 22nd. Wow. And so they um, had like a joint birthday party at a writer's workshop where Octavia, I think, was like, you know, one of the writers in residence and Evie was mm-hmm. uh, a student from my understanding. So to have like a joint birthday party with your idol, yeah, it just seems amazing. There's like a photo from it and it's just it just seems so powerful and also so much what Octavia was manifest- manifesting for the earlier portions mm-hmm. of her life. To have, you know, young people, especially young black women coming after her, um, not only being inspired by her, but also just being inspired to do to follow their creative whims, follow their paths, Mm -hmm. whatever. Although she saw that true success in her lifetime, um, you know, she became a full time writer too, um, selling a dozen novels. It wasn't until nearly 15 years after her death that she made the New York Times bestseller list which was one of her like number one manifestations Um, Mm. that happened in September of 2020. So she died in 2006 um, at the age of 58 of a stroke um, that came on quite quickly. Mm. Um, So just for that to like be fulfilled so many years later. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure about her other books. Maybe you can tell me, but 
Um, yeah. The parable of the sower, I think it starts in 2025, right? Or is it 20? Yeah. I think it starts in 2025. Okay, maybe. Yeah. It's like, it's very, look. it's very like, like it might even be 2023 and then it fast, like, yeah, it's like 2024. Very, okay. Yeah. It's like very weirdly close to present day. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Should I? Yeah. Just hop go into for it. Yeah. Blowing by her. Okay. So I, I do want to start talking about Parable of the Sower, but I kind of want to talk about her books in chronological order mm-hmm. as like that she wrote them and not the order that I read them. <laughs> so I want to start with Kindred, mm. which I read very recently, which I, th- I saw somewhere. Someone said somewhere in some article that it was her first novel, but that's clearly not true if hmm. her first novel was Maybe her uh, first, like, commercially, uh, I think Pattern Master. Pattern Master? Was the one that I said, yeah. Yes. I, I saw somewhere that it was Kindred. But either way, it was one of her earlier mm-hmm. books. And it's basically, so it's about, it's so interesting because it, it, I think it is probably the book that maybe the main character is most based off of her. Mm-hmm. Because the main character is a black woman in the 70s living in California who goes to like some agency or something and waits for work and does a bunch of odd jobs for several Mm. weeks before she goes back and gets a new job, like basically like temp work, uh, like going, working at like a car place, doing inventory and then, you know, going to the next thing. Mm -hmm. But it's about she basically just mysteriously time travels like out of her control back to antebellum maryland i believe so same thing like she was in california and she time travels back to like 1830s or 40s i think maryland so like totally Mm. different geography totally different time and it's um and i i said this to you before we started recording but it's so interesting because I feel like her books read like a lot of her books come from the main character will come from a place of ignorance Hmm. in a situation. And it it reads like an instruction manual, like like very much like asking the questions like if you were to survive, like here is how you would survive if you went back in that time Hmm. as a black person going back into when slavery still existed. Like, how would you do it? How how did the house work? How did, mm-hmm. you know, she's asking these questions. People were looking at her funny and basically her figuring it out. Like, it really reads like an intro to life at a different time, which is mm-hmm. just so interesting. Like, you can really see her thinking through everything. But Kindred is the only book that of hers that I've read a physical version of it. And I was surprised by how quickly I was able to read it. Like, I read it. I think over the course of a weekend, like I just sat down and it was a page turner. Yeah. Um, it just went by so quickly. And basically like this is on the back cover, but she goes back. The The book covers with a little bit of backstory, but like the main events take course over like maybe a week and a half, maybe two weeks mm. in the, like 1976 or whenever it happened. It, but every time she went back, to the 1800s she would stay there for longer and longer so the Mm. first time she was maybe only there for a couple days the next time it was like two months and that like you know what I mean like it got longer and longer so she became more and more a part 
of life there. And uh, yeah, it's just very interesting. And she talks like the character in the book talks about how easily she fell into the patterns of a time that was like so different and so oppressive. Yeah. And just to survive. But also, you know, she's able to find community and like make friends and navigate. the. It was just very, very interesting, which I love how like science fiction books like that can make you think, you know, because people always say like, why didn't more people stand up to the atrocities of slavery or exactly like and not to excuse people's um, ways of being, but also like science fiction takes you out of that world and says like, oh, you can criticize these people for acting in this way in a world that you don't understand. But in your world, you follow so many social norms and, you know, societal expectations Uh that are like objectively bad. Yeah, which that's, I think, part of the reason why her books are so, so, so interesting to me Mm. is that I feel like a lot of dystopian sci-fi, there is like a resistance Mm. or someone trying to either break out of a system or rebel or whatever. But like so many of her books are just about like finding your place, finding your community and like surviving, Mm -hmm. which I just think is different. Like I'm sure there are a million other books that have that kind of feel to them but again like all of all of the like major sci-fi things that I could think of are very often the resistance people I don't know Mm -hmm. that's usually what I think of but yeah I think Kindred is a really good place to get into her work if anyone is interested in reading her books because I again like it is very readable and I think it does give like a good glimpse into her life and like I can imagine like she it feels having heard what you said like she was writing herself yeah and like what she would do if she went back because again she was a writer like she had the struggling writer like she still had to do other work and then she was transported back but then like she was a really highly educated person for Mm -hmm. the 1800s even white people had a lot of resentment towards her character because they were like you can read and write better than me you talk better than me Mm -hmm. you obviously know more you're like I I love I love time travel. Yeah. Things where people go back in time and they're like just boil it. Like we need to make sure this doesn't get infected. Yeah. And people are like infected. Um and <laughs> you know what I mean? Um like I I just watched the first like couple seasons of Outlander and it's yeah, the same thing she say. goes back and she's just like and she is a nurse. Like that character is a nurse. Mm-hmm. So she actually does know a lot of like wartime. Yeah, she's a World War II you nurse know. who goes back to well, slight like, spoiler to the also end of like the first episode. 1800s Sorry, but I think it's even Scotland. earlier. Maybe 1700s. Is it 1700s? I yeah. think it's 1700s. Yeah. Like 1714 or something. Um, I watched the trailer for the um, Kindred series on Hulu. Have you watched it yet? Okay. I have not watched the show. I did see a very, very, very brief trailer, I think, at the beginning of another show. And I was like, ah. Yeah. So I do really need to watch it watch that I was like because I I don't I don't want to allow myself to watch it before I've read the book but I'm like I can Mm -hmm. watch the trailer and yeah I think I think it's so interesting that way also that she ties in like racial trauma and like the fact that she wouldn't exist without these people that are objectively or I mean again yeah you know more than me but like yeah horrific and okay another thing that I think is so interesting too which I think comes from like a lot of her characters are tall black women Mm like herself like I and again I think it's just like her putting herself into the time because like you obviously have like 
racism, but then she in Kindred and in Parable of the Sower, there's like a can you pretend to be a man? Mm. Because there's like being a man is so much safer, even though there's that like you're still in danger inherently. Yeah. As a black person, it's, you know, can you appear to be a man? Because there's safety in that. So there's it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's so interesting. That is interesting. Um, also, just to go back to, because you said it was yeah. her first novel. So it was her first standalone okay. novel. I think that's pretty close. Okay. Because the okay. pattern is series gotcha. and then Kindred um, came out in 1979. Okay. So that's that's what that is. Okay. That's what I must have seen. But I was like, because I, I didn't mean to read her first, last, and like most well-known things. But um, I was just like, wait, it was her first one? Mm-hmm. Wow. That, and it makes sense. Because um, again, I feel like you you that book very much is like you see her in the character but yeah so highly recommend uh as i do with all of her books um and then like meh meh eh, that would pass um no that was it was so good and i can't wait to watch the show and then obviously you have parable of the sower and parable of the talents which i do think because i i read that in 2020 as well so Mm -hmm. i was part of getting it on the bestseller list i guess or it you know got you know people were talking about it and i hopped on the Octavia E. Butler yeah. uh, bandwagon. But yeah, it's something that I tell people to read constantly because it feels so close to being real. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously environmental issues. Uh, the, you know, they're feeling the effects of global warming, water shortages. And uh, like the biggest thing is Christian nationalism mm-hmm. and how. Christian nationalist groups basically terrorize the country Mm -hmm. and get power and how you can survive if you have different ideas or make your own religion and start a community slash cult as the people in the book might want to see it yeah um yeah and you you've read that one I've read no I haven't read Parable of the Talents I have it next to me but but Parable of the Sower yes I have you've read yes, yes. and then I know in Parable of the Talents because I started it um but then I've been mm-hmm. on such an audiobook kick I've literally listened to like three audiobooks this week <laughs> because I I'm, was doing I'm like honestly the same I was yeah with moving I'm just like packing I'm like, yeah oh, I, have this book. I was yeah. I was doing like scanning whatever processing work that I could listen to stuff and so I listened yeah. to fully three audiobooks like I, I would get home at the end of the day and I was like, I have had so much cultural information in the last eight yeah. hours. Like, I can't even do anything else. But anyways, I whatever, the physical copy of Parable of the Talents has fallen to the back of my priority list. But I mm-hmm. this is always, every time we talk about it, I'm like, oh, I need to finish. Because that's especially the one where people point out that the president has the slogan, make America great again. Obvious parallels. They say it in Parable of the Sower too. Do they really? I believe. Mm-hmm. Because I, I just had a friend start it and because uh, it's That's Jared. That's true. Yeah. And, the, and they just call him Jared, which I think is a really funny really? name. I, I was going to say, I don't remember his name. Is it his just name is Jared? The parent, like, I don't know if Jared is the first or last name. I'm assuming last name of this president. But like it feels like like Jared feels like such a Trump figure mm-hmm. because it's like a charismatic kind of just like riling up all the extremists like whatever and his slogan is make america great again Hmm. which from a trump time 
seems like really freaky, but also Reagan. make America great again is a Reagan slogan. So it's not as far fetched. It's just like what I am obsessed with is she feels like a time traveler. Mm-hmm. She wrote a book about being a time traveler. So I'm like, Octavia, <laughs> like, girl, like, let's be honest. Like, wh- what do you know? Are you are you are you a time traveler? Um, but that's a, also what's so amazing about but, her, um, like knowing more about her life, too. And I've yeah. seen elsewhere where she's called her like called herself a hermit in Los Angeles. You know, she was able okay. to buy that house that she dreamed of buying and bought it like yeah. for her mother as well. Um, and had like relationships, but she was also very private. And like, I don't think yeah, I don't get this impression that even when her work was like succeeding and she was like fulfilled in that way. I don't see her becoming this like super extroverted figure. Like I think she was always no. just a very yeah. observant person. So that if you are yes. just not sitting back, but like, you know, observing closely, yeah, everything that's happening around you, then yeah, this probably was pretty apparent at that time. Yeah. And like again, Christian nationalism has existed for a long time. Like mm-hmm. Parable of the Sower came out in the nineties when we know that, like, you know. We all knew about global warming, but fossil fuel companies were just spinning lies. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm interested about the pattern, pattern master. Okay, pattern so this is sort of confusing. Wait, there's pattern master, which is part of the patternist like, series. Patternist. Okay, I'm like, but, task but pattern master. Mas- yeah, but pattern okay. master is the first one. And this, okay, this is just from her Wikipedia. Okay, but I just because I looked this up when um you were talking about kindred. It's crazy. So mm-hmm. that was her first novel published in 1976. Okay. The Patternist series is a trilogy. The other two books were like published in the subsequent years. Um, mm-hmm. So then Kindred came out the year afterwards. And then Wild Seed, okay. which is the end of the Patternist series. Okay. I guess it's not a trilogy then. But the last two Patternist books were Wild Seed. Wild Seed. Okay, because there's like a lot of different seeds. Yes, and then Clay's Ark. That's why I was confused. Which, okay. So Clay's Ark was a couple years later, but like those first one, two, three, four, five books were written year after year. Or maybe they were like kind okay. of held, you know, she'd been writing them over the course of years. And then finally, once she was able to sell one, she's like, here's the okay, rest. Now I have time to sit down and write. Yeah. And, yeah. Or here's what um, I've been working on for t- 15 years or whatever. Yeah. But like, yeah, just in the fact that like there's like patternist, like whatever, like I now that might be my next. I might request that on Libby because mm. um, like her ability to see patterns and to like just describe them and mm-hmm. like take existing history and turn it into a, like a whole new world is just I don't know. I think it's so cool. Yeah. Um, but I've had people start reading the book and be like oh my god you're like this actually is like now what the heck and I'm like I know it's scary Mm -hmm. but also it reads like a instruction manual of how to survive and how to create community yeah and how to like make the best of a situation even if it's absolutely the worst Mm -hmm. and carve out a little space for yourself and your friends and your family and I feel like that makes it feel so hopeful and again like the uh, 
Parable of the Talents goes like 100 years in the future or it goes to like 2100 or something right, like that. Yeah. So it talks about how through everything, like there's ups and downs, but like you'll get through and obviously things will change. People will die. People will be killed, you know, bad, bad, bad. Mm-hmm. But like it, you'll everyone will come out the other side and maybe some people will see reason. Maybe it will be crazy transformational change. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, obviously tragedy, et cetera, will Okay, so I yeah love that, but read that if you want to be really freaked out uh, and and question if she's actually a time traveler because again one of her first books was about time traveling and then that yeah. book is so spot on. I also um, think about like I don't know. I think I had heard that like you know that they're so similar that like the parallels blah blah blah. When I started Parable of the Sower, that like then when I started it every thing that was different because obviously that's not what the future is going to be like two years from now yes um it's just like a symptom of all the things that we're dealing with now yeah I was like oh this isn't you know whatever it's not like it's exactly like right now but it's because she like yeah has all of those themes and stuff like that it blows my mind reading it during the pandemic when everything felt so apocalyptic and we didn't know how we were going to come out the other side which like we're still in it Mm -hmm. but like I think we could visualize what the future that's so like. true but reading it in the first months of the pandemic when we had no idea what was going on mm-hmm. no idea anything we didn't and know how the virus chain was stuff spread too. at that point supply chain stuff like it felt like okay yeah this could be four years in the future mm, um that's so true i feel like you hear politicians now all the time being like we're a christian nationalist country mm-hmm. um and all that stuff. So, like, there are things that are true. Like, feel like, okay, yeah. No, this is... Parts of the story are probably going to come to fruition. Yeah. Um, but obviously, there there are huge differences. And there are, like... I feel like magical realism, too, mm. is a really interesting part of her books. Because, okay, I'm going to just keep talking about Parallel Sower. Please do. Uh, and then we'll get to the last book that I've read of hers. But I think one of the most interesting parts of that book is that basically uh, Lauren Olamina, the main character, her mother had taken some sort of drug. And I don't think it was like a recreational drug. Like I think it was some sort of pharmaceutical thing. Like maybe it was abused, but it was one of those like, I don't think it was like an illegal thing. Mm-hmm. But a side effect of people taking that while they are pregnant is that their kids are born with this weird mm. like health condition not a disease but like a hyper empathy I don't know. yeah they have hyper empathy so lauren feels everything when someone is in pain she feels like it happened to her mm-hmm. so in a situation where she has to survive and might have to kill or be killed like if she has to contemplate i'm gonna kill this person can i withstand the pain of dying mm-hmm is it worth it? Like, can I get through it as well? And so it's just this like extra added layer of like, she can't become ruthless Mm -hmm. and she has to like, like, and it is kind of like a little bit of a moral compass thing. So I think like that comes in with her religious upbringing and like, again, the like who cares what other people feel, I'm going to feel it the most thing that you said. Like I'm going to be the one suffering the consequences. It doesn't matter what other people think of me. But yeah, that's like another really interesting part and a little bit like a magical realism bit. And just like, a, I don't know, it's a cool. Yeah. So, and maybe it's like also ties back to herself, like 
her teacher's telling her there's nothing going on in her brain because she's shy and <laughs> quiet, but actually there's clearly a lot going on in there. Um, yeah. And so, like, the, having this internal thing that is just hypersensitivity to the world, it feels like that's mm-hmm. very, could be biographical. Okay, another yeah. thing I will say um, about Parable of the Sower is that I found her denial to be really interesting and really realistic. Um, you know, she's a really, uh, Lauren Olamina is like a really mm-hmm. intelligent character who's also thinking about the possibilities and saying, oh, like, I'm not going to go there because like to this whatever fancy resort or something that my friends are going to because things aren't going to end well there either. She's really smart, mm-hmm. but she still does have this like level of denial of like, oh, you know, things aren't going to get that bad. That thing isn't going to happen. This person's going to mm-hmm. stay in my life. And like not all of that ends up being true. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. super relevant to the pandemic, especially and, like yeah. at least when I think about my own personal reaction to the pandemic uh, initially. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously following all, all health guidelines to their T, but, um, yeah, like thinking, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna have to leave Morocco for me. Um, or like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm going to be here for a couple of weeks. The president's saying also it's going to be a couple of weeks. We don't usually agree, but yeah, maybe he's right. Um, you know, like having that denial of like, oh, this thing is, is still going to happen even though it's mm-hmm. six months into the future. Like, um, and so I found that super relatable as like the world is sort of um, burning around her, as you could yes, say. Literally. But wait, what was the last one that you read? OK, so the last one I read and I finished this a couple days ago and I finished it. I had put it on 1.25 speed <laughs> and I finished it an hour before it was due or like literally 30 minutes. Like the, the clock was ticking. I was doing the math. Okay, when do I have to start it to be able to finish it at one point? Sometimes speed? on Libby, if you don't stop it, it'll let you keep going after it technically expires. <gasps> okay. I've learned this from experience, but then if you do stop it or if you go out of the app, like in a certain uh, way, then you can't go back to it. Okay, good to know, mm-hmm. good to know. But the last book I read, which was also her last novel, it uh, was fledgling mm. and I this is the one that I read or I saw like a little thing about it and this was her attempt to write a lighter <laughs> uh, vampire book just for funsies and it turned out like and this is this is what the article said and this is what I also think it is so like and again reads like an instruction manual for like how to survive in the world and like how can I explain all of the social issues mm. of society while also writing a vampire book it's crazy <laughs> it's so intense like I did like, not realize it was a vampire book also I like was picturing a bird it's a vampire book and I don't know if there's a bird on the cover or where I got that from mm, but maybe I don't know probably not is a fledgling a type of bird is it a baby bird maybe is a fledgling a that might be what it is, but basically, and this is it. Yes, go ahead. You're gonna look it up because <laughs> I don't know talking. anything. <laughs> you, so you know a lot it's of things, about but not this specific thing that I would like to know. Okay. Oh no. Um, what? Well, okay. Yes. So it is a young bird that has just fledged. I didn't know that was a verb. And then also, what is fledged? Growing I think, feathers. I think it's like have having wing feathers that are large enough for flight, able to fly. Cute. But it also fledgling yes. also means a person or organization that is immature, inexperienced, and underdeveloped. Okay, so 
So it makes sense because mm-hmm. this is the first chapter and then we'll just, uh, I again, if spoilers, I'm sorry. I'm going to try to not spoil anything. But basically, first chapter, the girl that is the main character her name spoiler ends up being shori which she doesn't remember because she wakes up from a burnt down house completely Mm. burned alive no hair covered in scars basically on the brink of death doesn't remember anything Mm. complete amnesia doesn't know who she is doesn't know what happened doesn't know she's like i was in a burnt house because i see the burnt house around me i don't know who i am what i am don't know my name don't know whatever and so basically she tries to survive Hmm. and she learns everything and it's the kind of thing where she'd be like oh okay a helicopter I know what that is now that you mentioned a helicopter and some things come back to her but other things don't Hmm. so she's a vampire or it's basically a vampire but in the book it's called Ina I-N-A um so it's basically like this race of people that are vampires but like they're real in the book obviously <laughs> but they don't call themselves <laughs> but you know what I mean like yeah. they're they they are actually like a race of people that are but that like suck actually, blood they don't call and, themselves do vampires. they kill other people is that a spoiler kind of. it's no, it's okay okay spoilers from a little bit from now on because it's I need to talk about it because it's so interesting so basically by the way of like some light spoilers to just get us interested yes yeah so go so ahead. she is discovering who she is. And there's basically this whole Ina kind of vampire society. And it's so interesting because, okay, she is a black vampire. Mm-hmm. Vampires are generally, as we think of them, pale white. I generally think of vampires being pale and white as like a me- metaphor for white supremacy, mm. colonization, the consumptive of white sucking the life out of things yeah yes that's what i like to think Hmm. of vampires as just like a whole thing but she's black why is that and basically she can like be in the sun and like she is the product of an experiment of her ina mothers to like genetically engineer take like black dna from humans and make her so she can be like not burned by the sun hmm. and so she exists and people are like should she exist she's like people are really pissed about it that they're making black vampires hmm. black Ina and that's a whole thing drama ensues <laughs> because of that that's which so I will not spoil I had no idea but like yeah, back to safe and zone. then safe zone and she doesn't know any of this so this is kind of a spoiler if you really okay. want to not safe zone no if you want to ex- have the experience of like an Ina who has no idea and like discovering it little piece by piece. Mm. So instead of like how I think of like consumption, taking, stealing, killing that I think of vampires, basically being Ina is all about building community and you need to build community to survive mm. because you need people to eat, to suck blood from. But basically, the vampire, like, spit has venom. And it basically, people become addicted to getting their blood sucked. But then so they it doesn't become, kill like, them? It doesn't kill them. They almost become, like, they live really long. They're young forever. They have, like, better healing capabilities. And so they get some of the, like, Ina vampire benefits. Mm. But they need to keep, 
like they are addicted like they will die if they don't get their blood sucked and don't get more vina like what spit this sounds fucking crazy i know like it's like crazy the world building so cool basically yeah and like you get this so it doesn't sound as crazy when you're reading it but it sounds like so insane and i can't even like explain it because it's like this you get introduced to this whole structure and so they basically Ina need to have a bunch of people humans um that essentially become part of their family to sustain them Hmm. so they need like six or more um fuck can I can I I need to look something up okay I'm blanking on what they're called um I'm just like fully forgetting the word it starts with an s we're not we're not gonna say it because I don't want to keep looking forever all right <laughs> good luck editing that tomorrow oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. But no that was fun I think I think it'll it'll <laughs> cut how down, long was it hopefully, okay an hour and a half okay. 135 but I think easy some like cutouts were really, yeah like some of them were, like, I was breakers. like what symbionts fuck it's Did you really else. just think of it? Yes. Wait, that's so funny. I'm glad you're still recording. <laughs> that's so funny. It's symbionts. The, also, the what humans. does that mean? That's the that's the humans. So, like, mm. basically, once they like get the venom in them, they become like emotionally linked, and they're called symbionts. And it's like they need <laughs> Ina to survive. I need the symbionts. They're like they love. Like they might have resentments because there is that power dynamic but like they love each other and like need each other and like are the most important people to each other um but symbionts is what it is hmm. and i was like it's an s it's an s word <laughs> symbionts, symbionts. <laughs> i would i hope well you're still recording on here i you can put that in that's so I can funny cut it i'd be like yeah uh match and be like oh. symbionts, symbionts. <laughs> So Ina need to have a bunch of humans to feed off of to have be able to eat sustainably. And they don't want to, they have like this moral code. They don't want to kill people. Mm. And they also become incredibly attached to uh, the people that they feed off of. So like, it's incredibly painful. Like they talk about how Ina like don't have human reactions to things. Like they would not physically be able to control their emotions. Like they'd be a mess. Mm. Like they'd be like, kind of like, just like screaming, crying, like, like uncontrollably will kill anyone if they like their human family is killed like they cannot like control themselves Mm -hmm. so they love them so if they die they'd be like so upset so there's obviously the like race factor Mm -hmm. but basically like (laughs) their whole societal structure they mate with other Ina and but they don't live with them they have like female families like mothers and sisters Hmm. all live together and then like fathers and sons all live together and then they like swap places if they're like mated with other people Hmm. um but they basically within their family and their their humans it's almost like like a polyamorous relationship and they have like there's obviously the power dynamic of like the Aina Hmm. and the humans but then like the humans can still have relationships with people like outside of the family in the community Mm. but they can also have relationships with each other like the other humans in the situation and then like they all have to deal with the Aina 
needing other people. Hmm. And there's like a queer element to it. Like I know we'll have female and male humans. And like, it's just like, and there's like a touch component. Like it's just like, it's so interesting. Like mm-hmm. between like gender, sexuality, um, just like non-traditional relationship structures, race. It It is like every, <laughs> everything. Wait, and, like, wait, there's like the SNL this, bit. It's like, it's got everything. <laughs> it's got it. everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Stefan. Yeah. But like that's like this book is like creating like a whole new societal structure and like challenging essentially any like human norms mm. and like again like attraction morality like a, they have their own code of ethics and like it's it's so crazy and interesting and like how <laughs> did she sit down to write a cute little vampire book yeah. for funsies and have that come out and it like goes back like thousands of years and wow. like, she references like thousands of year old history but it's also she not a super about, long book right it's just the one it's i think it's just it might have sequels but it's the book that i read this all happened in like a six hour audio that's crazy <laughs> it's and again like referenced thousands of years of history like movements mm. of Aina people, how Aina were affected by World War Two, and like oh my God. all over how they migrated and how certain of their families were wiped out and like in World War Two and like it's and that's just like a fleeting mention. Wow. <laughs> and and it's just so like so intense. And again, this is a relatively short book. Like I listened to it just this past week mm-hmm. while I was packing things like and to have all those intricate there's a there's all these different families and you get to like learn them and like how they're connected like who's dating who who's it's wild wow and it's all in one thing and like <laughs> if I wasn't already obsessed with Octavia E. Butler like after reading that I was just like everything like her mind like what is going on it's truly like how she created all these like structures and yeah it's just crazy it off of like vampires is wild Mm -hmm. and like somehow encapsulated like (laughs) the human politics around all of that stuff especially because it's like a person who literally knows nothing yeah like she doesn't remember anything what if stephanie meyer had read this book before she, she wrote Twilight, would have died. She, <laughs> like, Robert Pattinson she would, would be. have gone into a coma. Like, there's no way Stephanie Meyer would read this book and survive, <laughs> especially considering that she's like Mormon, right? Oh, I don't know. Oh, dude, I got a lot of reading to do on the Twilight scenes. I also haven't read those books, to be honest. I'm. I guess I'm. You ha- you've never read Twilight? Yeah. What? I did watch wow. the sequel. To one of the later books in French in theaters, and I was very lost. Okay, I feel like I was like I liked to, like I read the Twilight books, like I liked them, mm-hmm. I guess, and like watched. Nothing but, like, wrong with liking somehow, them, by the way. Yeah, but like you know what I mean. Like I read them and enjoyed them, but I was never like they're like Twilight. Right, right, know? right. I like read them, enjoyed you them. Were a scholar, and but I was somehow always at like the midnight showing. Of you just the appear there, 
Because, well, that's what we did. Yeah, like, I don't know. That's true. I feel like that's like, what did you do in high school? Like, you went to the midnight premiere yeah. of Twilight. That's I went to that the was, premiere that's my culture. of um, <laughs> The Fault in Our Stars, John Green's book. That's, okay. Yeah. I mean, listen. Here we Classic. are. That not to get us yeah. off course. I was just thinking about that yeah. because like yeah, the, apparently the glut yeah. of like vampire and werewolf stuff that we we were like I feel like in middle school for the bulk of that whatever two thousand eight mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like that book came out a couple years earlier. Why didn't we hear more about it? I don't know mm. because it's like again supposed to be this like cute little vampire book and also let's not forget okay Shori the main character she appears to be a ten year old human girl but she's 50 and so she has the desires and like so like she has like the sexual desires of like a human woman but she looks like she's 10 so she's interacting with like adult humans as if she were a normal woman so there's like so many like okay well that's (laughs) fucked up what but then all the adults are like well you're clearly not 10 because you're you're have the wisdom of a 50 year old woman but you're like that's okay fucked up that could never be a movie could never so be a true movie. so true the one i will i want to see more film adaptations of octavia e butler's mm-hmm. books but i don't you would have to change it like she would have to be like 18 plus like there's no way like because it's just like, like you can't it's too fucked up like it's too fucked up but then you're like we're explaining it all so it all makes sense but then you're like what right what even is happening right now I, I that's a big thing that I glossed over the fact that she looks like a 10 <laughs> year old human girl I also yes. sorry spoilers <laughs> that's okay safe zone safe zone kind of um but yes. what I also like love about Octavia is that just she has this I feel like her kind of spiritual ancestors are so protective of her work because I'm thinking like okay the the making of this kindred um series I actually don't really know very much about yeah. who directed it or anything like that but like I imagine that there have been so many attempts to adapt Parable of the Sower, especially as yeah. it's become more popular and we've like neared the time of when it's supposed to like have started. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I trust that there are so many of her, yeah, spiritual ancestors in Hollywood or wherever that would be like, we're only doing this if we can actually do it right. And that's probably going to take a yeah. lot of time. Um yeah. But yeah, like I or like feel, you didn't let her. She wouldn't have been allowed to write screenplays when she was alive, right? And you don't deserve her. Like you cannot touch this. Mm-hmm. Like it's too precious, and it's also internal. And again, like it deals with such like every single book of hers deals with sensitive, mm-hmm. like so sensitive top, like such like age gaps in relationships, like like. Yeah, I, like everything, like race, all sorts of things. Again, like fledgling. Yeah, loss, bad I, family relationships, not, everything. Yeah, you could not write, you could not make that movie as it's written. Like <laughs> it would, people would get arrested. I don't know. Like it would be not allowed. Like, <laughs> like people would go to jail. The big policeman in the sky would say, <laughs> Yeah, no, we are shutting this down. Oh my gosh. Um, but it's good. Like, it's so good. Like, I cannot recommend mm-hmm. it enough. Hopefully. And I've t- touched on very few plot points. Yeah. Other than, like, how who this character is and, like, slight context of how she exists. But, like, it does not. Like, I'm not even. Like, it's barely a spoiler because I did not touch on the plot. 
Wow. Aside from that's... her house being burned down, mm-hmm. like her house burned down in real life. Yeah. And her whole family being, her home and her community being destroyed. Like, she must have been, like, just, like, so deeply traumatized by mm-hmm. the, her house burning down. Yeah, I didn't, I'm sure there does exist um, writing of her talking about that. But I had seen her talking about, like, one of her first memories unrelated to her father's death or the house burning down. Mm-hmm. That was from when she was, like, two or three. So I get the impression, mm-hmm. and also just, like, from her work, that she remembers the house um yeah but like of course from the mind of a child but then also being around family that were like traumatized by those dual events so yeah yeah. or even being born of that like because that is fledgling Mm -hmm. like she doesn't remember the house she doesn't remember her family she doesn't remember who she is anything but she like all she has is this fire and like how that's Hmm. like informed her present so yeah I don't know it's just like I'm obsessed with like her her world in real life and how that translates into her books and then her books because again like going from yeah I don't I don't even know I no words <laughs> it's um, just <laughs> I have a question so you made me want to read these yes. the three of those that I haven't read yes again fledgling like craziest book <laughs> right <laughs> like what again like it just goes so deep and it uh but wait i'm trying to ask you a question yes what please ask what's your next one after this would you go all the way back to the beginning i think i might i might read every single i mean just every single one Uh, maybe i'll read that the star child um the biography oh maybe Mm -hmm. is that the 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 poetry one Mm -hmm. that's not an autobiography that's by the not an autobiography yes it's it's by eb zaboy um, but it's like also okay. super quick. It's there was an audio book that was okay. like two hours. I took the ebook. I'm sure the physical okay. copy is gorgeous. Um, but, you know, you can go through it in a couple of hours. Um, although it is the kind of thing yeah. that I'm like, oh, I, w- I want to see what the physical copy looks like because it seems like something that you could. Yeah. Just like turn back to um, yeah. and has a lot of interesting poetry like, and details. Yeah. I'll probably honestly get into the patternist yeah. series because like it, that seems like is the foundation for so much of her storytelling since she thought of it so young and then like like you said wrote it backwards so I'm very interested in that and then I I definitely want to read just like her collections of short stories Mm -hmm. and um all that uh I definitely want to get into some more of her spacey stuff I don't know if, if patternist um is that but like just deeper into her like space colonization Hmm. ideas um which like I love I love that parable of the sower is and talents is basically all about space colonization without actually talking about it yeah with without actually people it doesn't talk about it talks about the people on earth Mm -hmm. and again how like the idea of becoming like space travelers and Cause like I think also the reason why um I'm like star seed earth seed is because it's like earth seed and like it's our destiny to live among the stars. Mm. But yeah, I don't know. It it's just all so interesting and yeah. But I might want to get into her more like spacey things in short stories. And again, I'll probably read the. I'll probably put a hold on the pattern the first book in the pattern series once i catch up on a couple of the audiobooks i'm currently listening to yeah should we go into the dump so, what else are you listening to we i'm should. curious 
Uh, I'm listening to Orlando by Virginia Woolf mm. because I saw the play Orlando when I was in London um, with Emma Corrin. And the play was so interesting. Very interesting depiction of gender and just the play was very dreamy and the book is also equally dreamy. Mm. Like it's, it's very like, it's just so vibey and so like magical and like, it's all like, it's just very dreamlike. Um, so I've kind of just been listening to that, especially like as I get ready for bed, it's like, it's very thought provoking, but also very poetic, um, and dreamy. So it's kind of just like nice and relaxing to listen to. Um, I'm trying to sorry then, I'm typing while you're yes. talking but just so you know I'm looking out because if you come to New York there's this exhibit oh it's only through March 5th oh that means I have to go eh. soon too but it's go. Virginia Woolf a modern mind I like was gonna go see it at okay. the beginning of the month and then whatever it just got caught up in things I was thinking it was mm-hmm. going until May though but it's like um a free exhibition of all of her I think it's like her yeah her notebooks and her diaries family photographs and stuff like that and so I was like, oh, I want to okay. read A Room of one, One's Own before I go to that. And then, of course, you know, have I read A Room of One's Own this month? No, I haven't. So, uh, but I'll go before and then. Okay. Let me know how it is. Yeah. But yeah, I really enjoyed um, the play and I'm also really enjoying the book. Mm. Uh, it's just like, again, like it's it's also just like kind of through like it. it's the whole plot and I like it's just very like. I don't know. It doesn't. It's not like connected to anything. Mm. It just feels very floaty. And I love that. though. Interesting. And that's yeah, but that's like so yeah. interesting, especially in the time that she was probably writing. It was like the 20s or the 30s. Right. I think so. Yeah. But it's like back in history. And the play was I'm not like crazy far into it, but like the play, it was like all through. It's like all throughout time. And so like time doesn't really matter. Gender doesn't gender matters a lot but it's not consistent Mm. um and which i mean is gender consistent ever like that's the question that everyone's asking um but like the book is all like the story is a lot about that and just like relationships and like perception Mm. i don't know it's just very very cool and like how you perceive gender in others and yeah it's very very cool um but and then I'm also listening to The Cloisters by Katie Hayes, um, which is about basically a girl who gets like an internship uh, placement at The Cloisters. Hmm. And uh, it's about like how all the people there and all the academics are like obsessed with tarot and like. Um, what is The Cloisters? Fortune telling. and The Cloisters are like, I think it's the, it's like in like. I think it's in the Bronx or something, hmm. but it's like a, a offshoot of the Met, I think. Oh, and it's all like medieval. It's like in a castle. What? In the Bronx or something. I've never heard of that. Is it the Bronx? Yeah. I want to say it's in the Bronx. Huh. I want to go. And it's always been something that people are like, oh, the cloisters are really cool. But yeah, it's like a museum. It's like a offshoot of the Met. I think if you get a Met ticket, like there's a you can get into the cloisters hmm. for free. Within a certain amount of time. That could be wrong now because um, the Met used to essentially be free. And now they're like, money, please. Mm-hmm. That's um, so cool. Though. I've never heard of it. Or like, yeah. Yeah, you it should was. go. And I have not been. Yeah. But 
I want to go now and you should go and we should all go to the cloisters. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I've been listening to that too. Um, medium feelings on it uh, compared to Compared to Octavia E. Butler's like can't follow up. character know, and world building, uh, like I I'm like, eh, character's kind of flat. Mm. She has a lot to complain about. I think you should. Wait, you haven't listened to Pure Color, right? <laughs> I think I talked about that a couple no. weeks ago, um, or in our last episode. It's Pure Color by Sheila Hetty. It's a four hour audiobook. Okay. Um, I think also the physical book would be great, but. If you're looking for something that's like, yeah, weird and sort of floaty, but also like creates this world, that's the one where like um, the protagonist, her father dies and she like absorbs his spirit and then they fall into a oh. leaf and then she falls in love with a oh, yeah, human woman. Okay. And like that's not even half I the like, plot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I like listening to that stuff more too. Yeah. But I also, I also really like Page Turner, like books to listen to because then I'm like oh, I need to know what happens yeah. next I'm gonna like fold on my laundry real quick I think quick. that one but is three hours it's not like suspenseful in that sense that you're like you know whatever I have to know what yeah. happens and if they die but like you're so at least my experience is that I was just so intrigued by the world that you truly okay. have no idea what's gonna happen that like that's what made me want to okay. keep listening um okay I mean, I think you could easily listen to it in a okay. day if you had some free time. But also, like, I think I listened to it over, like, a couple of days and very much yeah. enjoyed it. Like, I kept wanting to go back to it because it was just, like, such a delightful experience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you have you read The Idiot yes. by Elif? Ba- is it Batuman? I don't know. Bataman? So I'm, I've been halfway through that book for so long. Really? Uh, yes. Because I, I like, like, okay. I loved it. I, I read it whenever it came I out. I think it's good. It's a great book. But, like, I don't know if I like it. <laughs> but I also, that book feels like a mechanism of Octavia Butler's work. Because hmm. it, because it, really? one, has the, it has the, like language like how you learn language mm. and it has the story throughout of like how you like the it was like Ivan and uh another girl to learn Russian yeah do you know what I'm talking about and so it's like this like story of like that's silly and makes no sense because that's kind of the stories that you learn mm-hmm. in when you learn a language um and then also the main character like never knows what's going on and I feel like <laughs> there's a similarity in me. Yeah. Um, That's funny. I would never would have made that connection. Like, and like just the way the character like certain things don't make sense. And then like other characters are like explaining things or like, why don't you get this? And then you're like floated out into like her mind and then you get snapped into reality again. Yeah. I like something about it, like reading them together. I also like it's taking me so long to read because it's it's hard for me to get through. But. I will finish it. It's such a like I Um, I read that over Christmas break, so maybe I had like a more concentrated time to read it. Whatever, like five years ago, whenever it came out. (laughs) But I think I think yeah, if you get to the end, I really want to read either or. I mean, it's been on the bestseller list for forever, which is like I know everyone talks about that one too. Yeah, so I'm like, I need to read the idiot so I can read that book because everyone's talking about that book. (sighs) Eventually, I'm halfway through that, and I've been also reading Frankenstein forever. Yeah, so. I'm finally reading Crying in H Mart, listening to Crying in H Mart. <gasps> ah, okay. So good. Who, I which is read list. by Michelle Zauner. <gasps> so good. Okay. Is that how you say your last name? Yeah. 
Um, uh, I don't know. I'm just like Michelle from yes, Japanese, Japanese breakfast. breakfast. Michelle Japanese breakfast. And it's so powerful to hear that. And like I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks actually lately that are read by the authors. I read, I listened to Molly Shannon's memoir, um, which was interesting okay. too. And that's like, it, yeah, that one, it totally made it that it's read by her because she just has such an expressive voice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Crying in H Mart's so good. But okay, just to like, if anyone's still listening to our just like nerding out about books. Um, I was like, this might be a shorter episode yeah, than usual. No. And then I was like, no, it's not. No, if never, never start a conversation yeah. about Octavia E. Butler with me at a party. Yeah. I'll bring it up Here myself. But if you do, you're you're not going to leave. Yeah. It's going to be two hours later. Everyone's going to be gone home and I'm going to be <laughs> pawning books off on you. And be like, take this home and read it, please. I can't wait. It's so good. Um, it's so long overdue, too. And Yeah. It also makes me happy that like so many of the people I admire are so into her. That makes me feel like yes. okay, we're on to like, something. We all get it. We, we get, all it. get it. Yeah, and the girls she helps it, it, it. us understand it. Um, but this is actually doesn't really have anything to do with her. To be fair, um, but uh-huh. tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow has been on like the bestseller <gasps> list forever. I have not read it yet, but Gabrielle Se- Zevin wrote like my favorite. Well. My favorite book um, being a teenager, Chasing Red Bird by Sharon Creech was always my favorite book when I was really little. And then okay, that's the with Zinnia. Is that Zinnia? Zinnia? Yeah, wait, we can't get into that because that's yes. not what I'm okay. talking about. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> also, a great book. Great book. Okay, we've yeah. um, but she wrote this book called Memoirs of a Teenage Amnesiac, which oh, ironically okay. I can't really remember that much about it. Um, except maybe something <laughs> at the end, which I don't want to say because if it's not true, then well, it just doesn't matter. Um, but it's mm-hmm. at least about a teenage amnesiac. And so I was thinking of Fledgling. Um, yeah. So I just got the audiobook for Memoirs of a Teenage Amnesiac, which is like a YA novel. Um, okay. And I can't wait to read that because I think after, I don't know, I was just like, I need to figure out why that was so my favorite book. And then I don't think I read any of her other books or maybe I read like one of her other YA books, like when I was 15 or something. Um, okay. but I really want to read tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow. And I just like kind of wanted it's to really read, good. reread my favorite one first. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a book that I read and I was like, and okay, well, I really need to do this. And mm-hmm. I start and then I'd like listen to the book and I'd be like, well, I guess I'll clean the bathrooms and clean everything and put laundry away. And obviously my house still isn't a mess. Um, <laughs> but like I would do all my chores and yeah. like think of things to do so I could keep Ugh, listening I love to that. it. Um, so it was, it was really good and sad and happy and interesting, just really cool. Yeah. Following the lives of all the different characters and oh, so good. Yay, so good. yay books, like yay stories that make us excited about things. Um, I yeah. feel like that's a big thing of Octavia Butler's life, like both consuming stories. Actually, okay, I think everyone should read Positive Obsession. <laughs> I'll have it on our um worldsburning.com in our notes it's an essay that she wrote like I said just tracing her writing life but it's I think it's like Mm -hmm. seven pages or something like that it'll take you a very short amount of time to read and at the very end Mm -hmm. she's like I hate writing about myself you know I wrote this for this magazine but I did not enjoy it because I don't think my life is interesting (laughs) I think that like the interesting parts of my life come out in the fiction and I was like that's Mm -hmm. I love that perspective but also you're wrong. Like I want to hear. Please tell me more. I wish she You're wrote a whole. Like I wish she wrote a whole memoir about her life because, um, I would love to see it. There are um her archives. If anyone is in 
I don't know if it's Huntington Beach or Pasadena, but somewhere in the LA area, the Huntington Library um, houses her archives. Um, So she didn't have any like living relatives, at least not. She had no children. Um, She wasn't married. I believe her mother died before her. And so she donated a lot of her stuff to, yeah, the Huntington. So if you want to go, I'm like dying the next time I'm in the LA area to go there. I think it has a lot of her, um, you know, diaries, um, a chronological thread of her Uh, life, all that stuff. Keep an eye out for that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's wild. Um, That's so cool. I now I want to yeah. go on an Octavia E. Butler trip. I'm looking to at their like LA. <laughs> conference and book signings and events that they have this summer. There's a book discussion for Kindred. It's two hours long. Ooh. We could go. Let's go. Yeah. And they'll be like, please be please quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take up too much space. But except, or it would be like everyone talking. And it's really yeah, like, oh, this is my dream. It'd be great. Um, but yeah, no, I love that. And I love things that also like can at times make scare you and talk about things that are scary and complex and hard to understand, but that also ultimately leave you like hopeful and wanting to connect Mm -hmm. with people and form community and not be a life sucking capitalist vampire. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which like, I do love sci-fi for that reason of being able to explore like all of the taboo subjects, mm -hmm. like without taboo because it's a like a crazy world that like anything can happen and yeah things aren't like yeah I don't know I, that's part of the reason why I love I love sci-fi me too do you want to do our oh, socials yes yes uh, yes <laughs> um <laughs> so you should follow us on Instagram and Twitter at world is burning with no g and on TikTok at world is burning with a g if you have any thoughts um if you want to Any talk thoughts. about how much you love Octavia E. Butler, you can email us at worldisburningpod at gmail.com. And of course, all of this stuff will be linked on our website, worldisburning.com. Mm-hmm. And follow us on Storygraph. Mm-hmm. That's just our personal we'll one. little links to that. That's just our personal one. Um, but if you want to nerd out about books mm-hmm. with us. Um, but you have to message more. us and tell us you followed us because it doesn't show you. Unless you're mutual no, followers. So, but that's okay. Yes. Cool. Um, that's all oh, we, we have. Put, we do have a bookshop affiliate link. So I'll put all of Octavia Butler's books on there and probably more of these too. Mm. Um, yes. And yeah, you can check those out there. Yeah. Yay. Okay. Well, we'll see you next see time. See you next time. <laughs>